This morning's reading is Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. And this can be found on page 1128 in the Pew Bible. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are amongst those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had amongst the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. There are some memories that you have that just absolutely stick with you, aren't there? I can, I can remember very vividly sitting uh, in the school hall with my pat lunch at primary school. I was just next to, I was on the table next to the, the line for the hot dinner queue. Uh, and I can remember the voice that spoke out and cut through whatever was going through my head, whatever I was daydreaming about, and shouted, What's that? And I look up and I see one particular boy, I can, I can still remember his name, I can picture his face, it's a vivid memory, looking straight at me, pointing at my lunchbox with a face with the biggest smirk on in the world because of what he has spotted. He gets everyone's attention and goes, he's got a volley pocket lunchbox. If you don't know what a poly pocket lunchbox looks like, that is it. My face started to match the colour of my poly pocket lunchbox and the, 
the stares and the snorts of laughter, well, they, they couldn't be hidden. I did my best to hide it, but it was just no use. The shame, the absolute shame. And it was true. I did have a Polly Pocket lunchbox. I was five or six, I was in year one, and, and before I started school a year or two earlier, I had chosen a Polly Pocket lunchbox. Polly Pocket, if you aren't aware, so sort of very early 90s was a, a kind of toy. You've got these little plastic containers. You'd open it up and there was this sort of little house or a little world uh, that Polly Pocket lived in. I was not into the toy at all. I don't know why on earth I chose a Polly Pocket lunchbox. I don't know why my mum let me choose a Polly Pocket lunchbox. I mean, it's so rubbish. It's not even had the kind of comeback that most toys from my childhood have had. In today's world, I might be ce celebrated as somebody who was kind of breaking gender stereotypes. I probably, probably wouldn't happen actually at primary school. Uh, and in my sort of year and a half at primary school, I had realized two things. Polly Pocket for me was really embarrassing. Two, there was no chance of me getting a new lunchbox anytime soon. So I had a couple of tactics that I would use uh, to avoid the shame of being found to have a Polly Pocket lunchbox. I tried to hide it. I, I unpeeled the sticker on the front. I would keep my head down at lunchtime, hoping nobody would notice. And I would hold back from other people for fear of them finding out what they might say. When it comes to our faith in Jesus, you and I often know how quickly it, we can be to be a bit embarrassed, a bit ashamed this, uh, of the message of Jesus. The, if you like, the gospel message suddenly becomes like a Polly Pocket lunchbox becomes to a six-year-old Tom. Perhaps we are speaking to somebody about Jesus. Maybe we're picking up some of the things about Jesus that Paul begins with in Romans 1. That this is the Jesus who's promised beforehand through the prophets, through the Old Testament scriptures that we have. Or in verse 3, it's the, the Jesus who is God's son. Come as a human. Come as a promised king, the promised Messiah. Or, or the Jesus of verse 4 who was raised from the dead and is to be judge of all. Or, the, or in verse 5, the Jesus who calls people, no matter who they are, to a life of faith. A life of faith that changes how you live. And it's hard. This, this message of Jesus is, is life-giving and life-changing, and yet there are times, aren't there, when that message of Jesus sounds daft, we're worried it sounds offensive, we're worried it sounds arrogant. There are times when the gospel makes me feel like I'm six years old and I've just been found out to have a Polly Pocket lunchbox. You know and I know that there are times when we're tempted to hide away. Hide away that our lives are about Jesus. You know and I know that there are times when actually we want to keep our heads down, hoping nobody really notices us. You know and I know that there are times when we hold back because of some of the big claims that Jesus makes and the big calls he makes over how we should live our lives. We hide, we keep our heads down, or we hold back. Right now, I'm probably most tempted to hold back about the big claims about Jesus and the claims he makes on lives. But if I look through my Christian life, I, I know I've done all three of these things. What about you? Do you hide? Do you keep your head down? Do you hold back? The Christians in, in Rome, I, I suspect they wouldn't have been that different to us. 
And it seems they were wondering if Paul was doing exactly the same. I mean, Paul, he was God's chosen instrument to take his name and proclaim it amongst the Gentiles, as it's put in, in Acts. And he's avoiding the city at the heart of everything, the city at the heart of the Roman Empire, Rome. Was Paul hiding? Was Paul keeping his head down? Was Paul holding back from Rome? Because actually it's a place that's so diverse, uh, so full of different ideas, so full of clever people that he was worried that the message about Jesus would sound daft or offensive or arrogant. But it's not true, is it? I mean, as Cynthia read, you probably could hear just how passionate Paul is about wanting to come and see uh, these young Christians in Rome. He longs to see them. He wants, he wants them to be strengthened by him. He wants there to be a kind of mutual encouragement going on. It's just that for Paul, life has happened. Stuff has happened that meant he's not been able to get there. Paul's not avoiding Rome because it's so diverse. Paul's not avoiding Rome because there's so many different ideas floating around. He's, he's not avoiding it because it's so full of clever people. In, fa in fact, it's the opposite. And, and we can read in verses in 14 how, how Paul says, I'm a debtor to both Greek and non-Greeks, so they're kind of everybody, both to the wise and the foolish, uh, to the people who are educated and people who are not, uh, to those who seem to have life going their way and those who don't. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Paul's not hiding. He's not keeping his head down. He's not holding back. He's eager. And in the words that we've already heard this morning, verse 16, that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul wants the Christians in Rome to know that, that for him, the gospel was not a pink Polly Pocket lunchbox. And for the, the Christians in Rome to be totally united together in being unashamed of the gospel themselves. In fact, it's the it's the impact of the book of Romans, and I think it's the impact it will continue ha to have. And we're, we're starting a series now that's going to take us through the first half of Romans. And I believe that the impact of this book, and I'm praying it will be, is for us to be united together in our life and unashamed in making Jesus' name. Aged six, I did not want to declare that I wasn't ashamed of my Polly Pocket lunchbox. I was. Age nearly 36, I do want to stand with Paul and with the Christians in Rome to declare that I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you might want to join with me in that. How do we do it? How do we do it this week? How do we not only just think these words, say these words, but live these words? How do we join Paul? How do we join the Christians uh, in Rome? How do we join followers of Jesus down through history? How do we join with followers of Jesus uh, around the world today? Followers of Jesus in Ukraine, followers of Jesus who are persecuted for their faith in saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, I think we give, get three reasons from Romans 1 verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. It's the power of God that brings salvation. The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First reason, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. There are times when we want to hide. There are times we want to keep our heads down. There are times when we want to hold back. Because what we say about Jesus 
Even our own minds just sounds daft. But does it sound any dafter? Does it sound any stranger to some of the things that people around us build their lives on? Shaping their lives around what the horoscopes say. Shaping uh, life around the idea that absolutely everything we have comes from absolutely nothing. Or the idea that to energize our lives, we need to kind of channel energy from crystals. Or just the, the kind of theme tune that I grew up with in school of you can do anything you set your mind on. So in those moments when the message of Jesus to us sounds a bit daft, remember how Paul describes the gospel in verse 2. If you've got your Bibles open, you can, you can see it. He says how it's the gospel that, that's promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Gospel's powerful because it's, it's telling us that all of history is directed to and centered on Jesus. And at the heart of it is somebody, the only person to have completely died and then come out the other side alive. Not, not a body revived, not a body resuscitated, but resurrected, has gone through death and beaten it. And Paul goes on later in Romans 8 to say that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The second reason, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God that brings salvation. See, the gospel, this message about Jesus is not God handing us a set of rules and saying, go off and do them. The gospel is not about becoming a middle-class churchgoer. The gospel is not about becoming a morally superior person. The gospel is about your life being caught up with and included with God's big, eternal plan of salvation. We live in a world where every person tries to shape their life around something or someone or many things or, or many people that seem to promise to make life better. And sometimes they do for a bit, but it doesn't quite last or it doesn't quite deliver. But the message of Jesus, the gospel itself, is it's not about making our lives better. The gospel is about rescuing our lives. And Paul says in verse 17, this rescue is all about righteousness. Verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel brings rescue because Jesus truly reveals who God is, what he's like. We don't have to guess. We don't have to make it up. And we see that he's righteous. Everything about God is totally right. The gospel brings rescue because it's God showing his righteousness in action, in that he keeps the promises, the loving promises he's made through history to rescue people. The gospel brings rescue because God makes us righteous. Because of Jesus' death in our place, it brings forgiveness that, that makes us right with God, that cleans the slate reconciles us to God so that we can begin to have his image in us restored. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. 
that brings salvation. And the third reason to stand unashamed is because the gospel is to everyone who believes. The gospel is for everyone, including each one of us here today. And if you wouldn't yet call yourself a, a follower of Jesus, a, a Christian, I'd love to invite you to uh, come along tomorrow evening um, to our Christianity Explore course. Just a chance to uh, discover these things for yourself, to ask the questions, to work it out. Um, do pick one of these up, have a chat with myself. Uh, we'd love you to, to come along. The gospel is for, for everyone. In fact, this morning when you walk out of this building, I want you to pay particular attention to the first person you come across, the first person you notice that hasn't walked out of this building with you. You might know them, you might not. Uh, they might be walking, they might be walking in a group, they might be walking their dog, they might be driving past in their car. The gospel is for them. Why not consciously think that as you see them? The gospel is for the people you study alongside, the people you work with, the people you end up in the same meetings with, the people who live near you, those you play sport with, drink beer with, walk dogs with, speak with on the phone, drink tea with, go knitting with, get deliveries from, connect with online. The gospel is for them. Jesus is for them. Jesus crossed the great divide that existed in God's people in the first century between Jew and Gentile. For everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Brought these two totally different groups, totally separated groups, and out of them called a people together. A gospel continues to cross divides, the divides in our worlds today. What unites us should not be our background, our education, our class, our stage of life, our nationality, our political views, our preferences for how we worship together. What should unite us is faith in Christ. Faith in Jesus. You see, the gospel message, before it's about us, is about him. So it means the gospel is not dependent on what you can or can't do. The gospel is not dependent on what you have or haven't done. The gospel is dependent on Jesus. And so it's for everyone. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. If this morning you're somebody who's tempted to hide your faith in Jesus away, perhaps this, these verses, perhaps the Holy Spirit is prompting you this week to kind of put a flag down in your life, in the, in the places you spend your time with, the people you spend your time with, that actually you are a Christian and you are a follower of Jesus. Actually, if your temptation is just to kind of keep your head down, maybe the encouragement, maybe the prompting from the Holy Spirit this morning is to lift your eyes, to lift your head, to see the people who are around you, to remember and realize that your life, your actions, your words, put Jesus on display. And they'll give you an opportunity to say something, however small, about Jesus to someone. Or if you're someone like me whose temptation is actually to hold back a bit, Maybe this week is the week to say things just a bit straighter, to speak up about Jesus, to say, yes, the gospel is powerful. It's about the resurrection from the dead. It's not about life being made a bit better. It's about having life in the first place. It's having rescue. And it's for everyone, no matter their background. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let me pray. Let me, Father, thank you uh, so much that if we belong to Jesus, and as your people here this morning, uh, we can hear Paul's words to these Christians in Rome. They are loved by God, that we are loved by God, and know it's true for us. That you've called us to be your holy people. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that in him is your power. Thank you that in him rescue and salvation for our lives is found. Thank you that in him uh, that is opened up to anyone and everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what's going on in their life, no matter what's happened in their life. I pray that you would unite us together in being unashamed of that message. To not hide away, to not keep our heads down, to not hold back. But by the power of your Spirit, to be bold. To be courageous. And to make much of Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen.